Welcome to the Conservation Today Show. We interview people about our environment in Douglas County, and I am your host, Francis Etherington. Today, I am going to speak with Barbara Davis with the Lincoln County Community Rights. Welcome, Barbara. We just spoke a couple of weeks ago about the Lincoln County ban on aerial herbicide spraying in 2017. In that conversation, you mentioned that it had been legally challenged and you were awaiting the judge's ruling. Folks can listen to that conversation in the podcast posted just before this one. Then, just a few days after we spoke, the judge did rule, and your citizen's ban on aerial spraying of pesticides was overturned. Uh, we're talking about Measure 21-177 that was passed in Lincoln County in 2017, in May of 2017, I believe, correct? It was that election, but because uh, it took a month for it to be certified almost, uh, it wasn't actually certified as law until June 5th. And I can discuss with you the technical reason for that, but basically it became law officially June 5th of 2017. And what exactly did become law? What was Measure 21-177? Measure 21-177 banned aerial spraying of pesticides over Lincoln County uh, from, from aircraft, not from backpack spraying, uh, not from ground application, but only from aircraft, helicopters or airplanes. It also asserted the right of local community self-government as well in that measure. And so it did two things. It banned the aerial herbicide spraying over clear cuts on private industrial forest land. It, it banned aerial spraying, period, whether it was uh -huh. over a clear cut of whether it was over private industrial, it banned it. Whether it was state land, federal land, or private industrial, it banned it. But, of course, the, the motive to, to clear-cut and spray was on the private industrial land because that's their goal is to make a profit as quickly as possible. And since the federal government doesn't do aerial herbicide spraying for commodity production to make the trees grow faster. This is mostly talking about either state or private forest lands, industrial forest lands. Did it also include spraying over agricultural lands? It Yes, although Lincoln County isn't a huge uh, agriculture county. You know, we, we, we border the coast, we border the ocean, and there's not a lot of food-type agriculture, food growth, you know, major agriculture for, for food on the, in Lincoln County. So it may, the main effect was to stop it over clear-cut forest land, over industrial forest land. And then what is the second thing that it did? It asserted our right of local self-government. And what does that mean? Yes, what does it, that mean? It means the people that actually live in that county because this is a Lincoln County measure, get to have a say, get to make decisions, not just about what color or what, where they paint the yellow lines on the curb or what time the bar's closed, but 
for things that affect their enti- their whole lives, their overall quality of life in that county. As aerial sprains, let's say they wanted to put a, a pipeline, an oil pipeline through Lincoln County. We were asserting our right to say, we're the people that live here, not a board of uh, directors 3,000 miles away, but we people should be able to decide what goes on in our county. It's pretty logical to me, and I think to a lot of people. And since much of these uh, timberlands are run by a board of directors far, far away, that makes a lot of sense that we get to decide ourselves here locally what happens to us. It's only right. I live next to industrial forest land, and I've experienced spraying near my property and always frightens me. What exactly is wrong with aerial spraying? Why did you want to ban it? Well, honestly, when I came to this this work, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I, I am a nurse by profession. I've been a nurse for over 30 years. And when I was, my first five years of nursing were in a pediatric hospital. And it, it always stuck with me, the fact that, you know, we, in general in medicine, we, we realize that a lot of disease is is lifestyle diseases, you know, people choosing not the most, not the most healthy lifestyle, and, and that these lifestyle diseases eventually catch up with you in the form of lung lung problems, heart problems, or cancer. Correct. Right. And so it always bothered me. Why should children who haven't even three and four year old children who haven't had time to develop a lifestyle, why should they be dying of cancer? So when I learned about this practice of aerial spraying over the forest, very close, you know, as you know very well, living next to industrial forest, frighteningly close to residents, I started doing research. And and through that research online, I found that pesticide use in children have found associations between in utero exposure and birth defects and childhood cancers. Um, I looked at the journal Pediatric Research, and in 2014, they found there was a direct connection between living within one mile of a pesticide application during pregnancy and autism risk. Oh, my. These are the sort of things that really alarmed me uh, mm-hmm. and, and motivated me to, to get active. Now, I understand that many of these chemicals have not gone through the full testing at EPA, that there's so many of them, they're just a backlog at the Environmental Protection Agency that they allow the use of these chemicals before they're fully tested. The vast majority have never been tested. The vast, over 12,000 chemicals have never been tested. And I refer you to a book called A Bitter Fog by Carol Van Strum who lives only 20 miles up the road from me in Five Rivers. She wrote a a landmark book called A Bitter Fog Mm -hmm. and documented all the research and all all the heartbreak that she and the people of Five Rivers had to go through when they discovered that 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 one spring after an aerial sprain that every woman in that area miscarried. Oh, my gosh. Not only did every woman miscarry, but... People were noticing that their farm animals that spring were born either dead or with terrible defects. They couldn't they couldn't ignore what they were seeing, and yet when they appealed to their local representatives in the Forest Service, it was they were basically placated, saying, "Well, that's just coincidence. There's really nothing to it." And I believe that that is the one of the things that prompted the federal agencies 
to stop aerial spraying was Carol's work. It was. It was. She, they, Carol and her small group of uh, activists were able to establish to to show the judge in that case that the EPA had given the work to do the research to do the testing to a fraudulent lab, and this fraudulent lab was retesting the same dead animals and and giving false you know fraudulent results and the judge said that's enough we're just going to put a moratorium on on aerial spraying over at the federal forest too bad that it didn't apply to private lands they just have continued unabated well we know that the private lands have a lot of, you know, are backed by big chemical and and uh, timber industries with a lot of money, a lot of lobbying money, and uh, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but money money talks. That's that's the state that we're in. There was just another article in the Oregonian about the Oregon Forest Practices Act, how weak it is compared to our surrounding states, and how much money. The timber industry gives to the Democrats and how they just can't change Oregon rules to make them at least as strong as some of our adjoining states. Our community rights attorney, Dan Meek, up in Portland, uh, did the research, and he, he, we are, and as well as Rob Davis from the Oregonian, an investigative journalist, they, they are able to reveal that, that uh, the legislators here in Oregon get more money from timber uh, than anywhere else. You know, one of the chemicals that is used is called atrazine. I don't know, I forget if we talked about this in the other interview, but atrazine is banned in the entire European Union. It's banned in most states in the United States, but it's used with impunity in Oregon. And one of the reasons why atrazine is so bad is because it pollutes groundwater. And once it pollutes groundwater, that groundwater is polluted for a long time with this chemical. That's correct. Yeah, it's it's frightening. It's frightening. When when we when people realize these facts and I believe that's what happened when we were out informing people during our campaign to ban aerial spraying. When people who are I mean these these facts are very well shielded from us unless we go out of our way proactively finding the information people assume that the EPA is protecting us and that everything's fine and once you start reading up on this information which isn't hard to find you realize that we're not protected at all you know another chemical that has had some recent research roundup yes also known as glyphosate. Glyphosate, and that's a common one that the timber industry used, and it's recently been found to cause leukemia, right? And not Hodgkin's lymphoma, yes. As you yep. know, there are over 18,000 lawsuits going on right now against Monsanto, the manufacturer of of glyphosate. And I'm, I'm sure you know about the landmark lawsuit that was won by the, the groundskeeper in the San Francisco Bay Area. Who was, right. Yeah. In in fact, one of those jurors uh, who was on that case was so blown away and so convinced of the the collusion and and the harm uh, that he learned while while being a juror on that case. He's he's somewhat in touch with Carol Van Strum now. They they 
they conversed regularly because he it was quite an awakening for him. To think that they spray this next to my home. So I'm so you know. sorry to hear that, Francis. I'm really and, sorry to hear that. Yeah, and so and there's not much we can do about it except you know hide under the bed, and ah. then in the afternoon they spray it in the morning. And it's cool and the wind's calm, but in the afternoon when it gets warm, these chemicals volatilize and they go back up into the air and start swirling around again. And we aren't the only ones, of course. There's many people living rurally in Oregon that have one of these landowners adjacent to them. Correct. Yes. Yes. So and and what, what, it, why, why is this legal? That's, that's the question that we asked was, why is this legal? Why should this be okay? And, um, and one of the, the glaring uh, maneuvers that came out of this, our lawsuit was the fact that we are preempted this this thing called preemption which we call a uh, hammer or it's a legal doctrine that allows a higher level of government to override a lower level and simply because of preemption this thing that was started way back when the writing of our constitution was put into the supremacy clause just because of preemption that is that is why the judge did not rule in our favor who that that overturned our ban because she said she was just she wasn't a bad person she was just her job was to interpret and go by the law and the law our existing level um system of government is what says preemption is okay it's okay for the state to preempt the local people the local government how crazy is that Barbara, we're going to take a quick break. This is Conservation Today. We are talking with Barbara Davis from Lincoln County Community Rights, and we're going to be talking about the lawsuit being overturned that ban aerial herbicide spraying. This is Conservation Today. I'm your host, Francis Etherington, and we are talking with Barbara Davis from Lincoln County Community Rights. Barbara is talking about the lawsuit that overturn the Citizens Initiative banning aerial herbicide spraying in Lincoln County. The lawsuit decision just happened a few days ago. So this ruling just happened within days of our last conversation. It happened, what, on September 30th? Uh, September 25th. September 25th, a judge ruled that what Lincoln County voters passed was was illegal. You weren't allowed to pass it, after all. That that's what she, she ruled, she, right? She she um she ruled that preemption overrides our ban. She she said that the um she found that the the measure was lawfully presented to the voters of Lincoln County. It was lawfully enacted. However, state law preemption in the area of pesticide regulation is conclusive. Under ORS 634.060, the county may only enact a policy regarding the use of pesticides on its own property. So, technicality. Basically, we are overruled by the Oregon uh, Pesticide Act. We are overruled by preemption because many years ago, the, the corporate chemical companies, they, they realized, they saw that the way to to get their way was to go to the legislature and have the legislature say, okay, this is now preempted. We are going to preempt any locality from making their own decisions about pesticides. And that was that. 
to, to us in Lincoln County Committee Rights, we said that's wrong. Because it's law does not mean that it's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so um, the judge ruled that the measure that you all passed, 21-177, back in, uh, in the spring of 2017, and this has been in court for two years now, and so the judge ruled it was invalid based on state law that regulates pesticide use. And so we have state law that regulates pesticide use. It says they can pretty much spray anything, anytime. Uh, as long as the wind's not blowing too heavy, you could go ahead and spray it, even though it will volatilize and move around in the air after the afternoon heats up, uh, even though new things are found out about these pesticides, like Roundup. We now, it's fairly new that we know it causes diseases, for sure. So we we still have the state law regulating pesticide use, and according to the Oregonian, it's going to be very, very difficult to change that law because the industry sits on the board governing those laws. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Does that really make any sense? <laughs> we don't think why, so. Why did it take two years for this to be overturned? And who was it that who was it that brought it into court to begin with? Uh, it took two years. The judge uh, did say in her judgment, she said the court apologizes for the lateness of the decision due to her docket being full, her priority was the criminal cases, and one of the other judges was out on long-term medical leave. So she she explained it by saying that her, her she was too busy, and then she had to attend more uh, to other priority cases first. That was her explanation. Um, who who uh, originally challenged us? Um, yes. Well, after I mean after it became law, is that correct? Yes. Was, mm-hmm. Yes. After it became law, uh, two tree farmers, Rex Capri and Wakefield Farms, both in Lincoln County, who use aerial spray, uh, filed a lawsuit stating mm-hmm. a number of a number of uh, complaints, trying to say first of all that the election was invalid. But the judge again reiterated that it was a lawful election. We it was enacted. We met the pre-election challenges by law, and we prevailed. Um, but her, it was lawfully enacted. But because of this thing called preemption, which is just one of a number of weapons that the corporate, corporate uh, corporations of all types of corporations use to snuff out uh, uppity citizens, uh, because of preemption, that is why she ruled against us. She she said it was lawfully enacted. We didn't we didn't do this incorrectly. We followed all the rules. And we followed all the rules to get it on the ballot as well. So we did all the right things, but we challenged something that that uh, the corporations don't like to see challenged. We challenged the idea that corporate rights were the corporate preemption, this thing called preemption, was higher than our constitutional rights, we the people, our constitutional rights for safety, which is stated in the Oregon Constitution and all other constitutions, all other state constitutions, as well as the federal constitution. So we challenged a basic premise of law, and 
that's unprecedented, basically. She's, it's unprecedented to uh, state that you have right to self-government. She said there's no legal precedent for this, um, as well as uh, preemption. Preemption has been along, around for a long time. Does that make it right? We don't think so. So we are challenging the very idea that preempt that a state or a federal government should overrule our local right for our safety, for our health. So we're going back to the, the very DNA, to the root causes of what's wrong here. We're not, we're not asking for better notification of when they're going to spray us. We're not asking for, for wider buffer zones. We're saying, hold the phone. Stop right there. We have a right to health and safety. So we don't think that a wider buffer zone is going to help us or protect us. We know that's not true. You know that's mm-hmm. not true, right? Right, right. By the aerial spraying that goes on by you and the volatilization, we are, there's plenty of science to, to show that that's not safe. So That's what we learned from your conversation before was that these sprays can, uh, from the air, especially with under a helicopter rotor wash, can, can spread 10 miles. Right. Frightening. It is frightening, and uh, it is unfortunate that a vote of the people is overturned by an industry lawsuit challenging you. It's just unfortunate it was challenged. What I just have to say, at least for two years, right. two and a half years, you had no aerial spraying. Right. And uh, some, you know, and there's been anecdotal evidence from some of our supporters that things were better. They, they, some of the hunters say they saw more animals out there when they went hunting, more wildlife. A beekeeper mm-hmm. said he, he thought he saw more bees. Ironically, a couple came to one of our events that moved here from out of state because they learned that we banned aerial spray and they wanted to get away from that in Washington state. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People, it gave people uh, some hope. But you're right. Why should if this is if we live in a democracy, which I don't believe we do, if we live in a democracy, why is it that a vote of the people, a legally enacted law, legally conducted election, and a majority vote of the people is nullified by a judge, and we're not demonizing the judge, but by one decision based on something called preemption. So where do we go? From here to try and address the aerial herbicide spraying that is just everywhere around us in rural Oregon. Is there any place we can go to now? What do we do now? It's a good question. Um, well, we here in Lincoln County Committee Rights intend to appeal the dis- this decision. Oh, good. We are going to appeal it. Uh, we'll be talking with our attorneys this coming week. Um, but we know that the appeal process can take a long time. Right. We think it's really important that people know that we're a small, we're just, you know, our core group is probably five or six people. Mm-hmm. The only way I've, I've learned from my reading, my experience, is that the only thing that changes law is, is changing the culture. And to change the culture, you need masses of people to get up and get active. We appreciate it when people stand on the sidelines and applaud what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we like being appreciated. We like that support. But 
We need more than that. We need people to actually stand up, get active. And if that just means putting a lawn sign in your front yard, if that means writing a letter to the editor every single week, um, mm-hmm. if that means <laughs> you know, putting in $5 at our events as a donation, whatever it, getting politically active means to those individuals, that's what we need. We need people to to wake up, to learn about what's really going on in their government, because we don't see this as a pe- aerial pesticide spraying problem. We don't mm-hmm. think we have that problem. What we have is a problem of a lack of democracy. Yes, that makes sense. So we're we're going to the root cause of all of this, whether it's aerial spraying, pipelines through a number of counties, coal trains, oil trains, water extraction. They all have the same root cause. And the root cause is our existing government that allows the harms, that supports them. That is supported by corporate money. Right. Hard to compete with corporate money. Well, yeah, it is. But we did. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) said we could. We were told we couldn't do this. We did for two years. Well, well, nobody said we'd even pass. That's what's so interesting. Because people, you know, when we started talking to people, people who had lived in this county for 20, 30 years, who'd been trying themselves with small groups to ban aerial spraying without success, they said, you know, there's a lot of money mobilized you know, against you, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna win. And we said, yep, yeah, we know that. It's okay, we know that, but we're gonna try it anyway. And honestly, we didn't expect to pass, but we did. But the real win for us, really, is that we educated an entire county of people. Yes. That that didn't know that not only didn't know this practice existed, but didn't. And even now, with we don't look at this decision as a failure we're disappointed but we're not discouraged because now this this to us illustrates to everyone if they'll open their eyes and see it that that our existing structure of law nullifies our vote so i think we really have to go to our legislators and maybe change the law about preemption or change the law about aerial herbicide spraying. Good luck with that, but... Well, again, we yeah, we're, we are starting to work with the legislature, but and we're also, we believe that things need to start from the ground up, from the grassroots, from the local, but we also think that are working on writing a state amendment to the state constitution mm. to give all communities, all local communities, the right of self-government. Good. When we have that, we will, be, we will be able to make decisions about anything that goes on in our community, whether it's pesticide spraying, pipelines, uh, water extraction, you name it. Right. It, the root right. cause is the same, and what we need is local self-government. Is that going to be easy? No, not at all. But it's what has to be done. We don't really see how anything's going to change unless we uh, we create a mass movement and and change the state constitution, amend it to say people have the right. People have the right to vote for what they want in their own county. It seems like, and not be preempted by state law, which which is very very weak when it comes to protecting people from the Oregon Forest Practices Act impacts 
That's true. Now, Measure 21-177 that you passed in Lincoln County, you mentioned to me that it did two things. It banned aerial spraying, and then it asserted the right of local self-government. Correct. And so the judge's ruling overturned both of those things. That's correct. Right. She stated that there's nothing in in law, and there's no precedent. When a local enactment is found incompatible with a state law, uh, it's a stance of policy. The state law will displace the local. So it's possible that, yes, the states more, more often uh, override local government. Than... It's certainly true in, in Oregon. According to our attorneys, uh, Oregon loves preemption. They use that, that art, that weapon quite a bit. We're going to take a break. This is Conservation Today, and we'll be right back. This is Conservation Today, and I'm your host, Francis Etherington. We are talking with Barbara Davis from the Lincoln County Community Rights, who just had their aerial herbicide ban voted on by the citizens of Lincoln County, overturned by a court of law after it was challenged by the timber industry. They went for two years with no herbicide spraying, and now uh, that has been overturned. And hopefully uh, they will succeed on appeal. We're going to talk now about the notification laws for aerial spraying for the public and if they are adequate or not. As far as public or at least adjacent landowners being notified when some of this aerial herbicide spraying is happening... Uh, it used to be, because I've gone through this for years, so I have some experience with this. It used to be that you could pay the state money and sign up for certain sections that you want to be notified of when they were going to do aerial spraying. And then if they were going to do aerial spraying within the area you paid for, then uh, they would send you by postal mail, took two or three days to get here, uh, a letter and, and the plan to do the aerial spraying. And then maybe occasionally there is, you could do input. You could like, you can do a comment on it occasionally. You only had it. They only have a 15 day waiting period that they're required to do between the time they notify Oregon that they're going to do spraying and the, and the time when they spray. It's only required to wait 15 days. So it took two or three days for the notice to get to you and for you to figure out, well, what are they going to spray and exactly when are they going to spray is more difficult. What, what the notice tells you is, is that usually it says, we're going to do aerial herbicide spraying and we might spray one of the following 20 chemicals and it will be sometime within the next year. Hmm. So you actually don't know. I mean, it could be just 15 days or it could be 300 days. You don't really know exactly when it is that they're going How to How helpful spring. is that? How yeah. very helpful is that? Very helpful is that. And, but they do give you the phone number of the timber operator and so you can call them up and say, I want to know when you're going to spray. And they have the choice whether to tell you or not. They don't have to tell you anything. It's, the law isn't all that helpful about public notification. And lately, I'd say 
in the past, uh, about the past two or three years, it's changed. Now you don't have to pay money. Now it's free. Only, of course, if you have a computer and you can log in and figure out a very complicated system to map out your notification process. It's called FERNS, F-E-R-N-S, and that's an acronym for something I don't know what. But if you go to ferns.odf.oregon.gov, and I'm going to put that link in the description below the podcast, and good luck figuring it out, you can actually sign up to be notified of uh, when spraying is going to happen around you. And, of course, the notification is the same. At least you're going to get it quicker. You won't have to wait those two or three days it comes in the mail. But the notification still says, oh, we're going to spray one of these 50 chemicals. We won't tell you which one. And it could be sometime within the next year. We won't tell you exactly when it's going to be. But it is a way... It is a step further, and I want to say that if anyone would like to sign up on FERNS for notifications, I will be more than happy to help them out. So I'll put a contact information that that people can email to ask me, how can I sign up on FERNS, and I I can help walk people through that process. However doesn't really do us any good. It's not like we're sprayed any less often. It's not like we really know when they're going to spray. And does it stop the spray? It does not stop the spray at all. How is that helpful? It's only helpful for you to hide underneath your bed if you know, if you know when it's going to happen. Or to bring your children in from outdoors. But again, you say that they have a huge window, so you don't really know until you see the helicopters. Is that correct? That's correct. So it really doesn't help all that much, except you can call that phone number, and they might or might not tell you more information. So you can call this phone number, but the people that answer that phone are not legally required to tell you when they're going to poison you. They can say, yes, we're going to poison you sometime in the next year, but we don't have to tell you what we're going to poison you with, and we don't have to tell you when we're going to poison you. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And when Seneca sprayed next to us, we called them up, and they said, okay, and they did tell us. They did tell us uh, when it might be and 6 o'clock in the morning, when the day they were going to do it, they said, it's going to be today. So they did tell us. There's a chance they will tell you although it would be much better if they were required to tell you because Weyerhaeuser might not, Rosebrick Forest Products, but we don't know who's going to tell you and who's not. Maybe Seneca won't tell us again because they don't like me anymore or something. You know. Well, because, it's because no one is forcing them to. There's no law that says they have to. Uh, the way I look at ferns, honestly, Francis, and I am so sorry that you are so personally impacted but the way I look at ferns is just propaganda from the industry to say, see what great neighbors we are? We're, yeah. we're going to let you know in the next year when we're going to spray. They're not going to say we're not going to spray because we know we're poisoning you. They're just going to say we're so benevolent that we, we're actually going to let you know sometime, sometime in the next year 
what we're going to spray, but of course we can't tell you what that is because that's our personal proprietary information. To me, that should be illegal. Absolutely. Absolutely. As well as exactly what chemicals they're using. So it's like you can't really test your water to see if it's been contaminated because they could be using one of 50 chemicals. You don't know which one to test for. How crazy is that? (laughs) You see, I I believe, I've come to believe by, by doing this work that that we've been fed, we've been conditioned for so long to to have this respect for, this blind respect for the law, even when the law doesn't respect us. We've been told since we were small to respect the law, respect the law. I think, I really feel like we had this little IV stuck in us at birth, and they slow-dripped an anesthetic and a sedative into us over all those years to keep us from from waking up and really thinking critically about what's really going on here. Right. I know that sounds terribly cynical, but I don't know. The, all the evidence for me points to to how how we are, are we the people are our own our own health and and right to be healthy and has been usurped terribly by corporate profit making. Yeah, but, um, but but with the help of our own government. Yes. Well, that's because our own government is supported by corporate profits, you know, donations, corporate yeah. donations. Yeah. According to the Oregonian, pretty heavily in, in yeah. Oregon. It was a great, great article. Uh, here's a plug for Rob Davis, Polluted by Money. Great. And I'm uh, going to... I'm going to put a link to that article in the description of this podcast, too, so folks can go right there and read that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty illuminating. So just as a little summary, uh, Lincoln County in 2017, in May of 2017, passed Measure 21-177 that banned aerial herbicide spraying and asserted the right of local government, and it went into the law in June of that year. Correct. And just a week ago, a judge overturned your ban that that the people voted in because of state law preempts local votes. That's exactly right. And that just happened two weeks ago, and that's so disappointing. Uh, It's so disappointing to know that we can't just have a ballot and vote on something and have it pass that it's going to be challenged by industry and they have the money and the lawyers. And in this case, they did win their lawsuit there. Yes, in this case. But you need to know that there are, there are communities across the U.S. that are fighting similar battles to have their right to say no to whatever corporate project comes in. It's not easy. It's not easy. And we're also, by the way, trying to spread the idea of the rights of nature. It's a, probably a, a new concept, a new idea to a lot of people, but we believe, we, we know that we are inextricably linked to nature, you know, contrary to what some believe, but without nature, we would not exist. So we believe that nature has to have rights, and that, that idea is also being litigated throughout the United States and throughout the world. We're having more success with that idea in other countries, actually. But uh, there was actually 
I'm yeah, sorry. So, so, so even though we want the right of local self-government, we even also want the right of nature exactly. to exist in her own right. Did I hear something about, do you know about Klamath River? Did I hear something that day? I'd heard that, I believe it's the Yurok tribe of the Klamath River or Klamath around that area just put that into their tribal law, giving nature rights. You're right. Just recently they declared, I mean, the indigenous communities have known this for years, that, that, that you can't live without nature. And they've, they've respected nature, as you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it's, I guess it's precedent-setting when they actually put it into their law. This isn't the first time that an indigenous community has done that. I think it was a year, a year ago or maybe the year before. I believe it, I may be wrong. I think it was the Ojibwe band of tribe that, that gave Manuman the uh, wild rice rights of nature to exist. Uh-huh. And and anything that would violate their rights would would be litigated against. This this idea, like I said, isn't new. Um, the indigenous communities have known it for years. But back in 2006, with the help of the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, a little town in Pennsylvania called Tamaqua Borough, uh, while they were trying to fight, I believe it was sewage sludge dumping in abandoned mine pits, they also put in their rights-based initiative, giving nature rights. And that initiative passed. It stands today. That law stands today in Tamaqua Borough. And interestingly, um, Ecuador heard about that. And Ecuador uh, contacted the lawyers of the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund and flew them down to Ecuador and said, we want you to help us write our new constitution, and we want rights of nature in that constitution. So oh. to my knowledge, that's... That's uh, in modern times. That's when that was put into law. Uh, I think that was the first time that rights of nature was written into law on the uh, international stage. I wonder what it means on a practical level. Rights of nature means you cannot harm nature. Um, so what happens when we pull up the weeds in our garden that are native weeds? I mean, it's like. What exactly does that mean in practical terms, rights of nature? Do, do you know, can you go deeper? That's, that's such a good question. Um, in fact, myself, I was thinking that if we gave nature rights, that we should make an exception for pampas grass. Because <laughs> I have a terrible problem with the pampas grass in my garden. Well, that's not native, so you're allowed to, it's not native, so you can pull it up, huh? Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it means putting putting a stone on the stand and and having it be a witness and give it rights. But it's 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 to an entire ecosystem, and um, because it's an entire e- because it's all connected. It, it's so difficult to isolate one part of nature from the other when it's it's all so linked together. <laughs> I mean, the native right. communities knew that, and we we white settlers just seem to refuse to look at that. So it's it's really the protection of an entire ecosystem, right? Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Because it it you know if we because we keep destroying ecosystems. I mean, look at the Colorado River. Uh, <laughs> it must be similar to the uh, clause in the Northwest Forest Plan called the Aquatic Conservation Strategy that the federal agencies passed that says that they can no longer degrade watersheds. They can only 
support or enhance watershed functions. They cannot degrade them any further. Now, unfortunately, the Roseburg BLM pulled out of that and is no longer required to abide by that. But the Forest Service in Oregon still is not allowed to degrade watersheds further. So there you're talking about ecosystem as a whole. Correct. It's funny you should mention watersheds because both both us here in Lincoln County Committee Rights and uh, the Committee Rights Group in Lane County are in the process of writing our own Another Citizens Initiative to uh, protect watersheds throughout Lincoln County and throughout Lane County. Wow. Well, you were successful before, so I really look forward to you leading the way and being successful again. Thank you. And let's hope we can spread this idea to Douglas County and every county in Oregon and eventually throughout the United States. And once we get that law change that says that that the state overrules everything, including the really weak and poor Oregon Forest Practices Act that governs private land logging in Oregon. Well, thank you, Barbara. Is there anything else that uh, we haven't talked about that we should? Um. I can't think of anything right now. We've covered a lot. <laughs> well, it's been a, a joy talking to you, but unfortunately not under these circumstances. I'm really sorry that we had to have the second conversation about the law being overturned by the judge that was just on our last podcast. But, um, yeah, I guess these uh, steps happen sometimes, and we just have to uh, power on through this. And we intend to do that. And we hope that uh, you can join us in this in this this journey. And I will again put your contact information down in the description on the podcast, and your web page and that donate button because you are really leading the rest of us in these fights. So thank you for that. Thank you, Francis. Thank you for your time. Okay. Well, good day, Barbara. Good day Bye. to you, Francis. Bye-bye. We have been talking with Barbara Davis from the Lincoln County Community Rights about the Lincoln County vote to ban aerial herbicide spraying being overturned after it was challenged by the timber industry. This is Conservation Today, and I'm your host, Francis Etherington. Standing here on a highway turned into a lake Born on this planet that I didn't make The ice caps are melting, you can measure the rise Of the poisoned oceans, hear all the lies Of the political pundits and corporate crooks Their accountants and scientists cooking the books With hardly an inkling of what it's about Wedded to profit in flood and in drought I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world Midst mountains of soil Washed up farmland covered in oil One ton every acre Lost every year And along with the pesticides It ends up right here Millions of miles of chemical weeds Challenging all the trends
try to compete and lay waste to your country like we've done to ours. Let them eat coffee, sugar, coca, and flowers. I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world. Here in the city, shrouded in smoke, ten million people this morning awoke to a future of cancer, industrial disease. So let's build some more suburbs and buy SUVs. Cut down the mountains, burn all the coal, and put all the money in a humongous bowl. They'll call it progress and they'll blame it on you To end life as we know it, to enrich the few I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world Yes, I speak to you now from an occupied place You might call it your home or a terrorist base They'll send your sons and your daughters To make sure that it's theirs While they sit in their mansions in plush leather chairs And everyone's waiting for us to decide In dust we were born and in dust we reside Will we realize the commons is to shepherd and share Here in this war zone called land, water and air I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world I'm talking to you from here at the end of the world